All right, James chapter 5 this morning. This morning we're going to talk about prayer. Uh, earnest or fervent prayer. Uh, uh, James gives us an example of that uh, in the prophet Elijah. Elias as it is here in this passage. Uh, but our life is a journey with ups and downs, is it not? Uh, our faith is an integral part of that journey. Uh, really, in our faith uh, should guide our steps. And the Word of God should be our light uh, as we go about this life. And, but there's ups and downs. Uh, but in this passage this morning in James here, he connects this journey uh, of faith to trials and troubles and sickness and the difficulties of life. And we've talked a little bit about those in, in recent weeks. Um, but I think one of the most significant ways our faith is connected to our life here on this earth is through prayer. Uh, I don't think you can really pray without faith even if it's misplaced faith, right? There's a lot of uh, pagan worship and things like that. But uh, as we look at this passage this morning, we'll see that prayer changes things. Amen. Um, and I know it has in my life. I've experienced uh, prayer making a difference in my life. And um, <clears throat> I don't know how this is going to flow, honestly. Um, I'll be, be frank with you. I had some difficulties studying and preparing for this, but... I see an example of personal prayer in verse 13, and then I'll use a fancy Greek word, presbyteros prayer in verse 14, which is elder prayer, is what they, if any, will call for the elders. But that word in the Greek is presbyteros. And, and then the, finally, a, a thought, maybe a short thought on public prayer. So personal, elder prayer, and public prayer. We see examples here. And uh, I'm going to read this. This is... Uh, A.C. Dickinson, he said this about prayer. When we depend on organization, we get what organization can do, and that is something. When we depend on education, we get what education can be, and that is something. When we depend on money, we get what money can do, and that is something. When we depend on singing and preaching, we get what singing and preaching can do, and that is something. But he said this, when we depend, depend on prayer, we get what God can do. I submit to you this morning that we do not pray enough. We do not pray earnest or with fervor. And so let's begin by reading verses 13 down through uh, 17, and we'll have a quick word of prayer, and we'll look at a couple things that the Lord has uh, laid on my heart this morning. Verse 13 begins, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and he shall be. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like, like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. I said to, through verse 17, but we'll do 18. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning. We ask that you'd be with this lesson, Lord, that you would just... Uh, Lord, fill with your spirit, Lord, and I pray that you give clarity 
And Lord, that nothing would be said that you would not have said. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be honored in all of it. Bless each class this morning. We thank you, Lord, for a church that makes a priority of studying the Bible and preaching the Bible. And we pray that you'd bless, help us to be attentive. Lord, give us something from your word that would draw us near to Christ today. And pray, Lord, that you would bless now in a special way. Meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think we pray enough. Uh, And we talk about this journey of life, and I think God is working in our lives. Uh, There's no question about that. When we talk about having faith uh, through the journey of life, it really means trusting God's hand uh, is on us. And by faith, we believe that he's leading us. Uh, And that he's working. But how much does God intervene? Uh, Does he keep us from all the troubles? No, he doesn't. And we've talked about this verse a few times, but I'm going to remind you again, John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in uh, me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The Lord says there's going to be hard times. There will be trouble, there will be challenges, there will be sickness, there will be difficulties. So he doesn't necessarily intervene in everything, intervene, but he does intervene uh, at times. He absolutely does. And listen, I can personally attest to the many, many times that God has intervened in my life. Even this week, uh, Cindy and I were doing some things and we were praying about some things. and, And the Lord just worked things out through circumstances and just... Things that we were not expecting. We were going somewhere to do something completely different. And the Lord said, here you go. And, and he answered a prayer and he took care of some things for us. And, and it was a great blessing. And so I saw that this week. And maybe some of the smaller things. Sometimes we think, you know, those things that are less important or maybe God doesn't regard. Uh, but the reality is he does. Uh, he, don't forget, he knows the hairs on your head. He is very familiar and acquainted with your circumstances. Uh, And he does care, and he will intervene. Uh, We ought to be keep looking to God. Look at verse 13. It says, if any among you is afflicted. Is any among you afflicted? So the idea here is keep looking to God. It says, let him pray. If you're afflicted, if you're in trouble, and that word afflicted there uh, may have the idea of sickness, but really it's, it's more general, like any type of troubles or trials, any affliction whether it's oppression or, or different things. Maybe it's your wife, right? You've been afflicted. You married this gal, and what are you going to do? You guys are tough this morning. Goodness. I'm trying to lighten it up here, but uh, listen, the idea is if you're in affliction, you can go to God. You can go before the throne of grace and find help in a time of need. God is there. And it says, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. The bottom line is, regardless of the circumstances in your life, you can go to God. In prayer, right? Sometimes we need prayer because we are afflicted. But when things are good, what do you do? Praise God. Hallelujah. Things are good. God's blessing. That doesn't mean God's not blessing in the times of affliction either. And so the reality is we can reverse this and we can pray and give God thanks for the good times. And we can praise God as we're instructed to by his word even as we saw earlier in the book of James, that even in times of trouble, that we look to God and give Him praise uh, and give Him thanks for all the circumstances that He's allowing in our lives. The bottom line is, keep looking to God. Whatever the circumstances of your life today, keep looking to God. Uh, Whether you're suffering, whether you're cheerful, uh, turn to God. If you're suffering, pray. Uh, If you're cheerful, 
uh, sing praises. And that idea of praises here, or singing psalms, has the idea of, I think, accompaniment of instruments. Um, and I can't really sing or do instruments. But listen, I try to sing sometimes. Sometimes you can just catch yourself singing. And, you know, I was over here uh, in the house doing some work the other day, and, and nobody was there. But I could just sing and praise the Lord. And I don't have to offend anybody because nobody can hear it. Uh, listen, when things are going well, just praise God. When things are not going so well, praise God. Amen. Listen, you're still alive. Amen. When I was in the Air Force, I used to always say, it's a great day to be alive. You could have woke up dead. <laughs> the reality is we're alive and living today. Uh, and life may be hard and difficult, but we still have reason to praise our God. Uh, and you can go to Him in prayer and seek help. And, and we looked at these verses in Psalm 121 and verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. We can go to him, and, and he will provide help and support. Uh, and call, ver, Psalm 50, verse 15, to call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Listen, if you go to God in those times of trouble, he can deliver you, and then you have a, another opportunity to praise him. Uh, listen, look to God. But the reality is when things start going wrong, they don't go our way, we become discouraged, and it's easy to become depressed, really, for some, especially maybe more prone to that. And oftentimes we get fixated on our troubles. And we just don't think that there's any way out. Uh, and we neglect prayer. We neglect going before our God. Listen, we need to get before our God. When you pray in faith, not only will God look, uh, not only are we looking for God's help in the midst of trouble, but we also believe that God can use every trouble to define our life or the purpose of our life. God is working through those circumstances. And listen, I'm being a little redundant uh, over some of the things that we've talked in the past, but I think um, we need reminded of these things frequently. The reality is God is revealing himself to us in these times of trouble and affliction. And God is working in our lives to bring us unto himself and to have a closer walk with us. And we miss the opportunity to get closer to God oftentimes because we don't seek him in those times. We get fixated on our troubles and we get frustrated about what's taking place rather than just looking to God and asking him for help and praising him for the circumstances. Listen, when Paul was afflicted, what did he do? He prayed. And God answered his prayer. If you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Uh, I'll read it to you so you don't have to turn there. But <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was afflicted. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with it, the thorn in the flesh. And God answered his prayer. And this is what the Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Listen, the answer God gives may not be the intended result that we were looking for. God did not remove this from the Apostle Paul. He allowed him to continue to suffer through that. 
But he said, my grace is sufficient. And the Apostle Paul learned to glory in that and understand that he was strengthened by God in that affliction and in those circumstances. And the reality is those things made him better. So when you go through it and you just want God to take it away, don't ever forget that God could be using that circumstance to draw you closer to him, that you might have a closer walk with thee, as we say. Trust God in his ability to work in our lives. Don't just ask him to take it away. God, what do you want me to learn through this? Where, what area of my life needs to grow and, and become more Christ-like? Listen, we all have secret closets. If nothing else, it might be just in our mind. And if you're a man, I, I can probably relate. Our minds can go to wicked places if we're not careful. And, and so listen this morning, when you have those difficulties and those challenges, because we are robed in this flesh, and we will not put this down until we are in heaven. And we will, uh, the word of God tells us we groan. So, yes, ask God for relief. But be content when God answers and maybe he doesn't take it away. And understand that you can glory it. And it says, listen, the Apostle Paul, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecution, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He got to the point in his life where he understood that God was making him better through those circumstances. Even though it was unpleasant. And of course we know, you know, unless he was exalted above measure because of the great revelation he had, those things. But the reality is, God will draw you closer to him through hard times. If you would lean on him. If you would go to him in prayer. We can also look to God for healing. Look at verses 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. <clears throat> and here's where I say we see that the presbyter or presbyterial's prayer or the elders. Uh, does God heal today? Amen. I believe absolutely he does. Uh, I'm convinced that God does heal today and we should ask in faith believing that our God is able. Uh, it may be different than what we witness in the scriptures uh, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry and the, uh, the apostles. And, and to be honest, I, I've thought and meditated and looked at many things this week about this and, and the anointing of oil. And uh, So the elders, I think, uh, when it says elders there, I think it absolutely would include pastors and deacons, um, but I don't think it's exclusive to them. Uh, when you do a study on that word elders. Uh, so I think it could be other people that maybe through longevity of life and a demonstration of a consistent faithful walk with God uh, could be regarded as an elder. And, and that I, I think this scripture in itself kind of helps affirm that. And it says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And so who do you want to come pray? Those that are full of faith. Those elders that have lived long enough to demonstrate that they live their life patterned after a life of faith. Uh, and so that's the idea, I believe. Um, and, and the oil, uh, we can talk about that. The, a picture of the Holy Spirit or, or God's anointing in, in that regard. There's also examples that we could look, look at in the New Testament 
where oil was used as a medicine or, or for medicinal purposes. We know the Good Samaritan uh, in that thing. He poured oil and wine in, into the wounds of the individual. Uh, but the conclusion I came with, and I got it is confirmed by some good counsel, is the ultimate thing and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It's faith. Uh, I don't think the olive oil, uh, and when we think of modern medicine today, that uh, there's not a lot of treatments that people are getting from hospitals that's just oil. Uh, I think it's applicable, don't get me wrong, but um, I'll try not to talk myself into circles here. But the reality is, I believe this is a picture of God heals based on our faith. When we look to God in faith and we truly get to the point, and I think these people are sick and probably sick beyond the common cold. They're at a place in their life where they're really feeling gravely ill, uh, potentially unto death, and they're at the point where, man, I've been praying and I'm getting worse and I'm getting worse. And and so they take an extra measure of faith and they say, I want some other folks that have uh, got faith demonstrated in their life to come help and pray with me. And perhaps the anointing of oil is a symbol of inviting the Holy Spirit into that presence and and that God would bring some healing through that. Uh, And so the reality is it's a prayer of faith that heals. Um, And I guess we'll leave it there because I don't want to talk myself in circles. I kind of confused myself as I was studying for this. But I I believe God heals today. Uh, I really do. Um, And we just need to ask him. Sometimes. Uh, does that mean if you ask the elders to come pray and to anoint you with oil that uh, there is a guarantee that someone will be healed? I don't believe so. Um, in other words, why aren't all people healed when they are prayed over and, and anointed? Um, and I haven't seen this a lot in my Christian walk where we've actually had people anointed and prayed over. I've heard of stories and those kind of things. I haven't personally experienced it uh, a lot. Um, But the reality is, in my understanding, is everybody that I know that this has happened to, they were not healed. Um, And that goes back to God working in our lives. And God wants us to pray. He, He wants us to pray in faith, believing that our God is able to do exceedingly above the abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, But the natural state of this world is corrupt. It's broken, it's evil, and their sickness and pain, they prevail today uh, because of the sin that's in the world. Yet God intervened by sending His Son to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe God is genuinely concerned uh, with our souls, and, and He pursued us that we might be reconciled to Himself. And so what am I saying here? God intervenes with a purpose. And he sent his son to be light piercing the darkness. And we saw examples of Jesus healing the blind, the lame, and those that were sick. These miracles were evidence that he was the Messiah. Uh, These were signs of the times and he uh, expected them to send or to see, he expected them to see and understand, right? As these things were being done. And we have an example of John the Baptist here. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 3 through 5, and he heard of the works of Christ, and he sent to his disciples to ask him this. And it says, And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see, 
the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So what's my point? When God heals today, he accomplishes his purpose. God intervenes at his choosing. Uh, There's no guarantee that if we were to follow this uh, example in Scripture here, that if we were to call the elders and to anoint somebody, that they will be healed. Uh, I don't think we can, uh, anybody could say that that's a guarantee. Well, there's some people that might say that, but anyway. But God intervenes at his choosing. God heals as evidence of his divine power. God heals to stir up faith. God may also have a purpose he desires to accomplish in someone's life. And so he may be healed in that way. Uh, So listen, we just need to ask in faith, believing that he's able. But we must understand that the answer, like we looked in Paul's case, may not be what we thought it should be. And we need to trust him regardless. God doesn't always heal. Uh, And those decisions are up to God and God alone. To make and and we should not let our that should not cause our faith to waver in one bit. We just have to understand God's doing a work, and we need to again look to Him in faith, uh, and praise Him, and seek Him in those times. Uh, listen, God heals the soul. Verse fifteen it says, "In the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him." So I I want to be clear this morning, just in case there's any confusion. I don't think there is, but God only heals the sick miraculously, uh, and God only forgives sin. Uh, no one else. I don't believe it was because the elders are there or uh, those things. It's God and God alone. Here's a thought. Some, and I want to emphasize some, and I just couldn't get away from this thought as I was preparing for this. Uh, for some, sickness is a result of sin. And I don't want to say that you, you, you can't cast judgment on anyone because of their physical condition and their illness. You, you, you can't, I mean, you're not God. You don't know the situation. But the reality is I believe some are sick. And if nothing else, we have the example of if you take the Lord's table unworthily, uh, some were sick and, and some were dead. We see that in, in Corinthians and so uh, in the church at Corinth. And so, um, but the reality is I believe some do get sick because of their sin. Uh, To get right with God and to deal straightforwardly with sin, I believe is probably, possibly the point uh, behind these verses here. That's kind of where I'm leaning, that that there are some issues in in these people's lives. Uh, Perhaps they are ill unto, or they are sinning unto illness, if that makes sense. Um, But the reality is, regardless uh, whether it's sin that's made them sick, um, most certainly sin makes the, the soul sick. So I know I can make that argument. And uh, the healing of the soul is even greater significance than the healing of the body, I would say. And God's ability to forgive sin and to heal when we come before him uh, and ask him. Uh, our bodies are weak. I got a mess of notes here. I think I had seven pages, but listen, our body is just temporary tent to dwell in here. Uh, the older you get, the more war torn and ragged it becomes. Our souls are eternal, though. 
dealing with sin is far more important than the physical illnesses that one may face. Uh, I believe our spiritual health is far greater concern than our physical health. And so the bottom line is here, we learn that it is a prayer of faith that will bring healing, both physical and spiritual, I believe. Uh, Because perhaps they were sick uh, under illness and and they needed to deal with those things. And I want to add this note here. This is a a note I got from a commentary and and I'm going to read it. So I quote, it may be added as worthy of note that the apostles say they should call for the elders of the church. That is, they should send for them. They should not wait for them to hear of their sickness, as they might happen to, but they should cause them to be informed of it and give them an opportunity of visiting them and praying with them. Nothing is more common than for persons, even members of the church, to be sick a long time and to presume that their pastor must know all about it. And when they wonder that he does not come to see them and think hard of him because he does not, A pastor cannot be supposed to know everything, nor can it be presumed that he knows when the persons are sick any more than he can know anything else unless he be apprised of it. And many hard thoughts and many suspicions of neglect would be avoided if when persons are sick, they would in some way inform their pastor of it. It should always be presumed of a minister of the gospel that he is ready to visit the sick But how can he go unless he is in some way apprised of the illness of those who need his counsel and his prayers? The sick send for their family physician. Why would they presume that their pastor will know of their illness any more than that of their physician will? So this might be the greatest note of all of the fumbling studies I've done is don't get frustrated at the church, at your pastor, If you haven't informed him of your circumstances. He can't counsel you. He can't pray for you. He can't help you if he doesn't know. So never assume that your pastor knows. And now that I've been doing this for a whole 30 some days. (laughs) uh, It's so true. I feel more clueless than ever. And I don't know if you guys can fully understand that. I, I really don't. But. There and I, I don't. And I'm, when you're in this position, people start talking to you more, yeah. informing you more, and you realize how little you know. Yeah. And then you have these desires to pray for people more. But the reality is, if nobody ever says anything, you can't do anything. And so, listen. Let pastor know. I don't need to know. Let pastor know. <laughs> <laughs> And I can say that on good authority that I know that he cares. Amen. And he wants to help you. Yes. Even if all he can do is pray for you. Amen. And so, listen, we are blessed with the preacher that we have here. And Amen. so, uh, listen, but the reality is it's a church family. We've got to work together. Yes. And so don't get frustrated at him if you haven't pulled him aside and said, hey, I got some concerns or I got these things going on in my life. Can we pray together? Can we do Just seek him out. And And so confess your faults. So public prayer here. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Try to move quickly here, but I think if we look at history, we can see that when folks get serious about honoring God, 
when folks get fervent about the things of God, it affects their lives. They begin confessing sin, praying for each other. Listen, how can you effectively pray for someone if their request is always, I have an unspoken? I have an unspoken. Now listen, I'm not saying that we need to know everything and all the dirty details about something that's going on in somebody's lives. But I will tell you this, there is something to be said for holding each other accountable with confessing our faults one to another. And if it's done in the right spirit and we can pray for each other and we can pray for the struggles and we can pray for the challenges of people, we will grow and be far better off. And if you look at the revivals of the past days in history, they got serious about getting together and praying. And that's when God stepped in and began to do a work. And so... Confess your faults one to another. Listen, you need an accountability partner. And if you're married this morning, I think the best person is your husband or your wife. There are things that Cindy knows about me that no one else does. And it helps me. I'm not going to tell Tyler about it. He doesn't need to know. But somebody does. And so, and if you're not married, you find a trusted elder, perhaps. Somebody in the church that's walked the life of faith for a while and they've demonstrated they're so faithful because we do need to be careful, right? We are, there is prone for, for busy bodies and, and gossip and all those kind of things. But the reality is, I think if we got serious about dealing with the things in our life and we began praying for each other, it would make a difference. Uh, and our nation needs it today. Our world needs it. We heard it this morning, Rapid City needs it. So if we're not serious about our walk with God and the sin that sometimes we allow in our lives and we're not going to deal with it, we should never expect God to come down and do something miraculous amongst us. Because there's sin at the door. That sin must be dealt with before we can ever expect God to come in and do anything. We talk a lot about sins of commission. But rarely mention the sins of omission. How often... Do we fail to address our lack of fervor or earnestness for the things of God? We get on our hobby horses and our soapbox about uh, open sin and, and, whoa, I saw so-and-so come out of the tavern, or I saw so-and-so go here, or I saw so-and-so go there, and they're doing these things, but we never address the lack of our earnestness or our fervor for the things of God in our life. Because God's pointed out those evil thoughts that we've had or those tendencies that we are prone to. But we haven't confessed anything to anybody. Therefore, it's a big old secret, and we just kind of muddle along in this life, and we have a lack of God's power amongst his people. Because we won't deal with the sins of omission by not getting serious about the things God wants us to be serious about. And I really think that's the heart of this this passage, is these people, they need God. We talked about personal prayer. If you're afflicted, go to God. Praise God if need be. And then, hey, things are getting a little worse. I need, maybe I need some elders to come help me pray and work on these things. And listen, what, you know what? Maybe it's time for public confession. That used to be very common in the churches of the early day. But it's an uncomfortable thought to get in front of a group of people and say, well, this is my struggle. Would you pray for me that I could get victory over this? But the reality is, I think if we did that a little more often, we would have more victories and we'd have the power of God on our 
fellowships on our churches in America today. But we're content to be mediocre in our Christian lives and accept the status quo rather than truly getting on our face before God. Let me try to draw, let me try to draw this close. So pray like Elijah, 17 and 18. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Listen, he suffered through everything that we do. We see that in our Savior. The Word of God tells us that he went through all the things that we did. All the temptations that you face, they're common to man. You're not experiencing something that no one else has ever gone through. But so we have this example of a man that was subject to life passions as we are. He experienced the same walk of life that we do. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth fruit. Uh, There's a few things I want to bring out here uh, to learn about effective prayers. Um, Notice that it says Elijah prayed earnestly. Uh, I found this silly illustration, but it, it's about a father who was trying to help his little three-year-old daughter in her prayers. When you pray, you should pray from your heart and really mean your prayers, he told her. Apparently, uh, her prayers had become just repeating the same few words, something like, God bless our food, in Jesus' name, amen. He could not help but laugh because the next time she prayed, she said this, God Please bless our food. I mean, really bless our food. In Jesus' name, amen. When we talk about earnest prayer, I think it's a little more deep than that. Uh, Adding one word, really bless it, Lord. I don't think is what James is talking about here. And so stick with me for a moment. I'll try to, to draw this together in five minutes, I guess. We got a five minute warning. Faith grows when you hold on. Faith begins with a word from God, and we understand that. He sent his son to seek and to save and pursue sinners and reconcile them to himself. God speaks, and, and faith is stirred, and we understand that. Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so faith begins with a, a word from God, but faith grows when you hold on to what that word is in your heart. James brings up this, this example of Elijah as an example of effective prayer. And... Uh, when we first look at the story, it sounds pretty simple. You know, it says he prayed and it, uh, it didn't rain, and then three and a half years later he prays again and it, and it rains. Uh, but look a little deeper. If you want to turn there, you can, First Kings chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 42 through 44 uh, quickly this morning. It says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arises the little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, saying to Ahab, prepare thy chariots, get thee down, that the rain Stop thee not. So I hope you caught that. There is a great, I think there's some good insight here that we can get. Uh, Many of us would have prayed once, and if God didn't answer, we would stop. We would give up. But seven times he tells his servant to go uh, back toward the sea, and he persisted in prayer. 
He stayed there and prayed. It, it says he was on his knees with his face down in between his legs. And, and he's praying. He's persisting. And uh, he's earnest. There's some fervor here. Uh, he's in line with what God's wanting to do. As, and if you, we really don't have the time. But uh, First Kings, God is dealing with the people of Israel here. With the nation of Israel. And, and he's trying to do some, some work throughout this whole, when the rain stops and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, Elijah is in tune. He's, I would say this, he's confessed up. He's in tune with what God has for him in his life. And he's praying earnestly. He's praying fervently. Persistently. I really truly believe this verse connects to verse 16 where we see the confession of sin and aligning ourselves up with God. Listen, no doubt we need the imputed righteousness of Christ, but we also need that of a right walk with our God to effectively pray. Amen. You have to be confessed up and right with God in order to effectively pray. You can pray all you want, and if you haven't done that, Amen. it's of little effect or none. I would be willing to even say. God doesn't need Elijah's prayer, but God has decided to include it, uh, include us, excuse me, rather, in, in what he is doing, uh, and in some way includes us through our prayers. God includes us in how he works uh, in prayer. And, and listen, James 4, 2, we looked at it, ye have not because ye ask not. Sometimes we simply just don't have victory because we haven't asked God. We haven't got serious about earnestly praying. We haven't been persistent in our prayers and fervor. And listen, we, we are unwilling to deal with the sin in our life that would allow us to go before the throne, blameless, that we might have God's answer or response. What could we accomplish for the cause of Christ if we were right with God and prayed up? I believe that's when we would begin to see those things that we can't even imagine Amen. or think. Those things that we hear about that the Bible teaches us are possible, but we never experience because we're not right with our God. And we're not on our faith for our God. God help us. Amen. Listen this morning, I, this, was, this was tough. When I thought came across this thought, it's like, boy, I want God to do stuff in my life. Amen. I want victory. But am I confessed up? Am I spending the time in prayer that's earnest and persistent that would make a difference and that would be effectual? Listen, it's the prayer of the righteous man, right? We got to be right with God. And listen, time has gotten away from me. So listen, I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, see, I got a bunch of notes here. I'm not even getting. Listen, for God, the process is the point. It is about growing in your faith and it is about growing in your relationship to Him. Our relationship with God is eternal. Listen to me this morning. He is preparing you for it right now. Our relationship with Him is eternal and our walk with God and through our prayer life is how He's building us up and preparing us for that eternal relationship that He so desired so much that He died on the cross for us. And we can't even deal with our sin. God help us. Listen, the things God allows you to endure in this life are for the purpose of drawing you near to Him. God wants want your, your fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this day. Lord, and we thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that You'd help us to be serious about the things of God, serious enough to deal with our sin, 
serious enough to get right with you that we might have effective prayers. Lord, that our prayers would line up with your word and, and with what you're trying to do in the lives of people. Lord, I pray that you do work in our midst. And we'll thank you for it. Bless now as we move into the morning service. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.